Nope, I played the wrong intro. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Seriously? Look. All right. Yep. My bad. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hardcore Football, the first episode of Hardcore Football. I'm your host, Phil Baki. Uh, this is the intense look at the world's game uh, from two passionate Americans. I'm joined by Mika Burrell. You know her from the Seriously Loco podcast, um, but she has brought her talents to <laughs> hardcore football these days. So, Mika, <laughs> what's up? Nothing much. I'm excited. I mean, for those who are listening to us who also listen to Seriously Loco, you know that Phil and I take like half an hour every now and then <laughs> on the Seriously Loco podcast to to talk about, you know, European football and, and other non-local related things. So we figured let's just launch a a side project um, and, uh, you know, have this be our little our little podcast where we talk about other things, other things football, <laughs> because we can't get enough, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we have we have a problem. I think it's fair to admit that. Um, yeah, but we sure. yeah, we get a chance to indulge ourselves a little bit, talk about the world game um, outside of USL uh, and in my case, get to talk outside of Liverpool, too. So that's kind of a, a, a nice uh thing I don't really get to explore the broader game in in terms of talking and I think we we had so many conversations like before or after recording seriously loco that I was like this could be a thing yeah for sure <laughs> and you're first of all you're insane by the way because this is your third <laughs> podcast now <laughs> um, so man the listeners are in for a treat because phil phil is just cranking out the content but yeah i'm, I'm along <laughs> for the ride but yeah no there were so many times where we would just talk about everything else and why not just put it on the record you know and see what people think so so mika i thought a good place to start especially for those who maybe don't listen to seriously loco and don't know us. Um, how did you become a fan of, I want to say specifically kind of the European game, um, like your global football, I guess in the, in the sense of, you know, the big leagues and all that stuff. How did you like, what was your journey to where you yeah. are now of kind of this rabid fan who keeps track of so many things, uh, all over the world? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, I think like most Americans, it's safe to say I did not grow up a football fan, necessarily a soccer fan, um, all my life. Um, obviously. Um, really my first my first memories of soccer were of course the World Cup, because I think even in the United States that uh, um I mean now the sport is really quite popular here, but I think even before before it kind of grew in popularity the the world cup was always kind of in the the national psyche if you will regardless of people's interest in the sport so of course i was always kind of clued into the world cup it was really around um i'd say maybe like 2008 2009 i was in i was in high school um where the guardiola era the pep guardiola era of fc barcelona was was a thing um <laughs> and and they were just dominating europe and and that was really my first exposure to the european game so 
Um, I used to watch Barcelona on really like dodgy streams. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I still do that, but, (laughs) uh, so, so yeah, Barcelona, I kind of always have, you know, like a soft spot for them because of that. Um, and then of course, you know, as I got into college, the English game, of course, made its way here um, in terms of actually, you know, finding a broadcast partner in, in NBC. And, um, you know, I'd always heard about the Premier League and, you know, these big clubs like Manchester United and and, and Liverpool, of course, and the like. But um, I, I can't remember who it was. Someone I met was like, you know, you should watch Arsenal. Um just, just because like they're, they're great. They were obviously an Arsenal fan and, and, you know, I, I really didn't think too much about it, but then, you know, once they started showing Premier League more on TV here in the United States, Arsenal naturally was one of the first matches I watched. And I was just like, yeah, I like this team. Like I like how they play, (laughs) um, you know, started digging more into their history. And, and at that point, Arsene Wenger was, you know, of course, well into his tenure at Arsenal. And so it was just, you know, history from there. And, um, uh, you know, I used to be um, really big into to hockey, actually. That was my sport of choice, um, especially in college. And I was, you know, working with different teams in the NHL. But um, um, and then I went, I, you know, when I went on to law school, I really didn't have a lot of time to watch hockey because, you know, there's games on almost every night. But with football, it's on, you know, like once a week, maybe twice if you've got a cup tie or something. And so right. it was then that I really, really um, got a lot more into to football because it just, it, you know, <laughs> it just seemed to fit my schedule, actually. But, um, I, you know, I just fell in love. And, and that's really, um, you know, how I got to where I am now, I guess you could say. So, yeah, it's by far my favorite sport. It's my passion. Um, you know, I love following our, our local club, of course, El Paso Locomotive. But, you know, diehard Arsenal fan as well. And I've got my soft spot for, for different teams here and there around Europe. So yeah. Yeah. Something you said like resonated so much with me and it's the history. Like once you found that love for Arsenal or that connection with Arsenal, you spend that time like almost retroactively, like giving yourself the knowledge of the past and, and like, but whether it's YouTube or whatever, cause I did the same thing once I started following Liverpool, like in the mid two thousands, uh, after Istanbul, all that stuff, like, yeah, the thing that struck me the most about these teams is they have so much history and they have so sure. much like, I mean, just by nature of existing for the amount of time that they have, there's so much depth to the story of each of these clubs. And so, that was something that I really like threw myself into and really kind of connected with was this idea of, of kind of learning the, the fabric of these clubs. And the more that I learned about Liverpool and the more that I learned about the premier league and, and even other leagues around Europe, the more I learned that it wasn't really not that, I mean, I think Liverpool has a very unique history and all that, but I don't think it's unique for these clubs to have that history and to right, have right. that connection and that and these moments that are almost like shared by cities or communities like they're they're these moments that are ingrained in like the DNA of that group of people and so that's something that has so fascinated me like in learning over the last you know 15 years or so since I really started paying attention um learning all of those moments and like feel you know just kind of vicariously experiencing the emotion of um of of 
what it means to be a supporter of, of some of these very historic clubs. Um, and, and so the whole experience is just so fascinating to me and, and yeah, learning the game and, and just getting more involved in the tactical side, which we talk about a lot, obviously with seriously loco and trying to create, I guess, with seriously loco, some of the like culture around a team, you know, a local team. So a lot of that is informed, I think, by how things are experienced in Europe primarily, but also like South America, um, and seeing how clubs are building culture now, like in Asia, I think there's like really exciting stuff going on. Um, right. So right. it's just been it's just been great to kind of connect and see just how, you know, it it truly is like a global game, but it's because it's so rooted in in these individual communities. And um, so that is that is kind of what, you know, it wasn't what initially sparked my interest. But once I realized that that was what was going on, it was so easy to just like continue to seek out more and more like information and learn more and more. Um, so I've now, you know, just gotten to a point where I try to be like, so in tune with like everything that's going on. And sometimes it gets to be a little much, but you know, in this case, (laughs) like the big, the big leagues in Europe are, are just, they're almost a cultural uh, thing now. So I just, uh, yeah, I just really enjoy, enjoy connecting in that way. But, um, but one of the other things that connected us initially is our eclectic taste in music. I'll say like our, (laughs) uh, our less mainstream taste in music. Um, we may be described as by some as scene kids, uh, from back in the, in the late two thousands, retired ones, at least (laughs) (laughs) elder scene kids. But what, what was it about like alternative music? And in this, I'm including everything from like emo to like metalcore to whatever, post hardcore, all these like, different genres yeah that were all kind of (laughs) lumped into this like scene category um how like what brought you to the to that side of music um so that the listeners get a little bit more of a 3d view (laughs) of like mika burrell (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's funny right because i'm i'm like a corporate drone now but back in the day um i definitely had my my stints with purple hair and like, <laughs> um, I played in a couple bands when I was in, in high school, uh, and middle school even. So, um, I don't know what really started me on, on alternative music, I guess you could say, I guess teen angst. <laughs> like, I <don't> <laughs> and I, I mean, and at that time in that, you know, the two thousands, um, it was popular. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, it was actually like having a moment, you know, and, yeah. and I was, especially when I moved to, to El Paso um, as a teenager, that was really one of the only things that, that people my age could do because we weren't adults, but you could go to shows, you know, right. and, and get the X's drawn on your hands, of course. Yep. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, I became involved in like the local scene. Of course, like I said, I played um, in a few bands. I, I, I started playing guitar when I was like nine, but um, I've since fallen away from that. I probably should get back into it, but just, (laughs) you know, being an adult, there's so much stuff to do that you can't necessarily indulge all your passions all the time. But, but I still listen to, to all that music. Um, It's not as popular as it once was, but I mean, there are some bands here and there that are still making good stuff. And 
um yeah and i mean it it inspired us to make this podcast and kind of just like <laughs> mesh our interests all together some people might some people might not not like it but hey whatever What's <laughs> well, at least we're not blasting that music on seriously loco <laughs> <laughs> how uh like when you think of the bands that like define that era for you or like your taste for yeah. those for those who are like what the hell are they talking about if if you had to define your taste, like what are those bands that really highlight it? Oh gosh, uh, so I, I I listen to so 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 many bands, but I think the yeah. three for me, at least back then in the heyday, I guess of the scene, there was always three for me that I felt like were my favorites. Um, the first one, and this is kind of a a weird shout maybe, but the first one actually being Chicago's own fallout boy, um, take this to your grave is one of my favorite albums of all time. I have it on vinyl. Like I, and you know, this is going to sound like (laughs) ridiculous, but I started listening to fallout boy around that time. And then they exploded with from under the cork tree and became, you know, much more mainstream, but, um, always have a soft spot for them. It sucks Um, because they're so bad now. Yeah, like, like they're they're like arena rock garbage yeah. now. Like I don't, I haven't listened to their latest two. Like save rock and roll was okay. Sure, um, it was it was pretty good for like a reuniting like album. Right, but after that, I'm like nah. Like yeah. like every song was made for like Thursday night NFL or whatever. Oh, like. that's exactly what I was gonna say. Like this is like NHL like Stanley Cup playoffs music. Like, yeah, literally light them up up up. Like it's right, just right. yeah. So, um, Fall Out Boy is one. And then these two are more, more, I guess, like scene, I guess you could say, um, sure. census fail. I'm from New Jersey. So, um, census fail is, uh, they were kind of a local band way right. back and played in like VFW halls and Knights of Columbus and yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> and then they, they actually recorded, let it unfold you in a recording studio, like two towns over from my hometown. Right. Um, That's crazy. So love them. They're still together. Um, but I think Buddy Nielsen's like the only remaining oh. member. They're like, and I then, mean, they're also a massive band. Like they became yeah. huge. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like by absolutely. the time the scene era was like fading, they were a yeah. very big band. Like yeah, them definitely. and Rise Against, I feel like were very like popular. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, and it's funny you say that because Rise Against they had like they came from the like Chicago hardcore scene with like fallout boy yeah. <laughs> like members. Yeah. yeah. They were in our my Angeles together. Yeah. Um, and then my last one, I always loved Seosin. Um, and I know that that one is kind of a, people always talk about, Oh, Anthony green or Cove rubber. And I'm going to go <laughs> against the green. I always liked Cove rubber a little bit more. Um, but, but yeah, those were my like big three, I guess you could say <laughs> my trouble. <laughs> so that is like that. That will be a slight point of contention between it because I don't hold it against Sayosin <laughs> like post Anthony Green, but Seven Years is oh, true. probably one of the best songs that came out of that era, bar none. That's <laughs> true. That's true. But also, like the demo version of Bury Your Head is an amazing song. Yeah. And that was like Cove's like debut, I guess, with the band. But right. no, like I love Anthony Green. I love Circus Survive, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I uh and who knows, maybe we'll have to take a shot and just play some circa later. But the <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, bottom line, I one of the things again that I think is a common theme here 
um, is the community aspect of these two yes. things where Definitely. like, cause the way that I got into it and I think, I think this is true for a lot of kids who were into this type of music um, was not because, cause I think a lot, I think the first reaction of people mostly is like, how do you listen to like people scream or whatever? <laughs> and it's two things that you mentioned. It's the angst partially because that's yeah. part of it. But more than that, it's the connection with the community. Because, like, I remember being, you know, being, okay, same thing. You can't go out to the bars, but you can go to shows. And we had this venue in Aurora, Illinois called Doug's Rock House. RIP. It was literally like a 300 cap, like, restaurant that would convert into <laughs> a venue on weekends. And, um, Mostly it was they would do like Battle of the Bands type stuff and like local acts. But every summer they would pull like two or three national like touring, like signed bands to play like one off shows there. And that place would be packed to the rafters with kids <laughs> trying to see these shows. And they'd just be going fucking crazy for <laughs> two hours, just like going insane. So the one that always stands out to me and one of my like defining bands, I guess, um, is a day to remember came off of warp tour and played that venue. Um, and it was the craziest show I've ever been to. It was insane. Like the bassist was sweating on me, like, <laughs> cause there was no, there was no room. Like he's just standing on the stage. Like we're all just, yeah, definitely <laughs> pre COVID. Um, but yeah, so a day to remember like always uh, stuck with me, and I have to mention them because I also have some of their album art tattooed on my arm. Like, is that what that is? Okay, it's their cool. album "Homesick," um, which was oh their second God, album, album, and it's yeah that that for me was uh, was a big one. Um, and then another another band, like uh, I'd say in terms of impact on me, like. Uh, or on my taste, like the Devil Wears Prada was up there for me because they came up like about the time that I was getting into it. So okay. like they were kind of an up and comer when I was like discovering things. Um, so I felt like I got into metalcore or hardcore, whatever, like at the same time that they became <laughs> a known yeah. entity, I guess. Um, they've changed a lot over the years, obviously, uh, similar to, to others. Um, and they lost their original guitarist, which is always a big one. Like he left because he's like a married dad now. So he just like, he probably like is a realtor or some shit yeah. <laughs> or like a history teacher at but, this point. <laughs> but once Chris Rubio left the band, like the magic kind of faded a little bit cause his, his, he wrote most of their songs for their first like five albums or whatever. Mm -hmm. So like now he's not there. So similar vibes where it's just like, eh, like it's not really the same. Um, right. but they were, they were a big one for me. And then, I don't know, picking a third is tough because there are so many, like you said. Um, yeah. but like, well, the, the other one I have tattooed on me is a band called the color morale, which was a band that came up through, um, through Chicago, like I saw their, they also played Doug's rock house, uh, their last show before getting signed, like, and putting out like 
they they've put out like five albums and they've been a fairly successful um touring band and their drummer is actually the touring drummer for rise against now um which is crazy (laughs) so anyways um the color morale was one and that was another one where it was just like the community aspect because it was like we had this big send-off for like party for them basically like congrats on getting signed and they just played this insane show um but yeah like the energy and the the just like rawness and emotion of it ties back into like what it is like at a soccer match too so like people might be thinking that this is like a totally dissonant thing and like why are they talking about this (laughs) but i think it makes sense like i think the raw emotion that you experience watching a soccer match and seeing like a big goal scored or a, you know, a big moment between like rivals or something like that is not dissimilar to like the emotion that you would feel when like a huge, like chorus comes through in a song or like a crazy breakdown or whatever. And like, it's just right. this outpouring of emotion. Um, so yeah, yeah I mean, we that's used to, the thought. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We, I mean, you go, to, we would, you used to go to shows like you go to a football match now to get away from your day to day and just forget about it and have a place to express yourself and be with your friends and support something together and um, kind of feel that tribalism, I guess you could say for better or for worse. <laughs> I know that word kind of has like some negative connotations sometimes, but no, yeah, right. I think there are a lot of parallels between sport and music Um generally speaking, but definitely this, this genre of music for sure. Well, uh, now that we've explained ourselves, I think now is a good time (laughs) to take our first break. Uh, we'll enjoy some music. And when we come back, we'll talk about the start of the Liga Un season with a shocking early coronavirus defeat. And a, uh, and then we'll talk (laughs) about, uh, we'll talk about the big five leagues and who we think will reign supreme this season uh stick with us and we'll be back in a few Welcome back, everyone. Uh, it is our our next segment here, Mika. We got to start out. The Liga Un season starts, and pretty much any time that PSG is getting defeated in the league, it is headline news. <laughs> yeah, but but it was especially headline news this time because they were defeated by newly promoted Lens, but they were missing seven players who are positive with COVID nineteen. Yep. The is the bigger story here that PSG was defeated by Lentz or was the, is the bigger story that football's continuing despite seven positive cases at one of the world's biggest clubs? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. I almost 
I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm getting like numb to the coronavirus thing at this point, <laughs> but I almost want to pick the result being like the bigger, <laughs> the bigger thing. I mean, like you said, there's no, there was no Neymar, no Mbappe, no Killer Navas, no Di Maria. Who, who am I missing? <laughs> I mean, a lot of the, the, the stars. Um, but I mean, yeah, like you said, RC Lance just got promoted. They've been toiling away in Lido since like 2014 or so. Um, and I mean, neither team from what I could get, I didn't watch the whole match, but I watched like extended highlights and it just seemed like neither team was really playing all that well. Um, of course, PSG missing, like I said, a bunch of their starters, but Arcelons, they, they were at home, they had fans in the stadium Mm -hmm. and they capitalized on a horrific mistake by, um, (laughs) Bulka, who was only making his second appearance ever for PSG. So I kind of feel bad for, for him in that regard, but, um, he tries to like pass it straight at, at Verratti. who's not ready to receive the ball. And, and then, you know, Ocelons are able to score and, and that was the, the winning goal. Right. <laughs> so, um, a nice return to the top flight for them, for sure, to, to get one over PSG at home and in, in front of a handful of their fans. So um, just a weird, weird, weird fixture all around. <laughs> and I'm sure PSG are hoping, um, you know, everyone comes back from coronavirus without too many ill effects. Um, but with that result, obviously the league just started, but I just think it's funny that they're like hovering above the relegation zone for now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, uh, well, I guess they got a break as well. Cause they had the champions league final. And so the, the triple F gave them a little bit of a break with the, <laughs> with <laughs> right. before their league season started, but it still wasn't enough to get everyone back, uh, fit. Um, yeah. <laughs> due to this outbreak. Um, but I mean, it's not a completely like depleted PSG. Like it is obviously an attack. It's not going to be the same when you're missing like some of the best players on earth. Um, but I mean, like when you look at the team, Carer, Kimpembe, Kurzawa's in there, Bernat's in there under Herrera, like Verratti. Yeah. Sarabia plays like I mean there's still like a lot of quality on the field and so I mean can Lance like take some credit away from this despite the fact that it is not I guess the real PSG in many ways they still get a win against a pretty good side oh yeah yeah I mean I haven't done the math but I'm sure the players you just listed there are still like infinitely more expensive than like Arcelance's whole like <laughs> budget. Um, so yeah, it, uh, they do capitalize on a mistake from a, a young goalkeeper with not a, well, I don't know if he's young, but just not a lot of experience. Um, but I mean, yeah, I think they could take some credit for hanging with these guys. I mean, Verratti, Sarabia, like these are players that played in the champions league final, like, you know, 20 <laughs> days ago. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, hopefully they can, build on that. I mean, I'm actually kind of partial to Lille who are Alonso's <laughs> big, big rivals in the North. <laughs> so, I mean, I hope they don't get relegated or anything, but, but maybe this will spur them on and to have a, to have a good season and survive. Sure. Well, an interesting start for sure to the, to the season in France. And we'll see how, we'll see how things play out because obviously an outbreak contained to one team is, is one thing, but you know, if it yeah. starts to, get worse than 
I definitely don't want to see any issues with, you know, continuations of the season or any more breaks. That's certainly not what we're not what we're looking for, but um, right. it'll be interesting to see how um, how France's Federation handle this situation, especially since it's some of the superstars of the game um, currently affected by COVID. So um, but we've spoken about the French champions and I think now we'll try to take a crack at predicting, getting a feel for how we feel about who will win each of Europe's top, top five leagues. Um, the premier league kicks off tomorrow. Um, I think it's actually Arsenal at seven thirty playing Fulham is the uh like the first game. Seven thirty Eastern. Oh my bad. <laughs> Five thirty Mountain. Yeah, I, oh, I do early. not miss those. I do not miss those Mountain Time kickoffs. I swear. <laughs> yeah, I mean F in the chat for like the Hawaii Gooners, but um, <laughs> yeah, it'll be an early one for sure. Um, so I think, and and don't get mad, Phil, but I think City are going to win the league <laughs> this year. Yeah. Um, just because, uh, I mean, a Pep Guardiola team that's a, a wounded animal, <laughs> I think they can come back with a vengeance. Sure. Um, they've done some pretty good business, I would say. I don't think Nathan Ake is a transformative signing or anything, but still a good signing for a team that that needed more defenders. Um, Ferran Torres, they get him from Valencia, who are a shambles of a club, for a cut rate price, <laughs> I would say, um, for the kind of player that he can be. Um, and they still have, you know, a plethora of attacking options. <laughs> and yeah. uh, um, so I think that maybe they can pip Liverpool to the title this year. Um, I think I think if anything, it'll definitely be be between the two of them again. But I I don't know. I'll just go. I'll go city and probably look like a clown come May. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I mean I think I think we're in agreement that I think it's too soon. Um, and and this might this might kind of be a theme. Um, you know, throughout our our predictions here, I think it's a little too soon for either Chelsea or United to be like pushing the top two. Um, Chelsea, Chelsea are so much of an unknown with all of the, with all of the additions. I mean, they could be, they could be incredible. Who knows? They've added tons of quality, but I think there's a very short amount of time. Like they signed Havertz like six days ago or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's not like he's going to be like fit and firing by, you know, by Saturday, like, or by tomorrow, like there's, (laughs) I just don't see that sort of like transformation happening, um, at Chelsea overnight. I think we'll see some improvement there. And I think the expectations certainly increase for them, but I don't think they really challenge United. I don't see it yet. Um, especially with how a lot of their players were fatiguing towards the end of the restart. Um, and I just can't think that they'll be awarded as many penalties as they were last season. So they're going to have to find another 15 goals somewhere. Um, but the uh, between city and Liverpool, I agree. I think that's where it's going. And the only thing that I'll say in, in favor of Liverpool's retention of the title, which we know very difficult to do, especially difficult in a time where there's been basically no off season, Um, but, and given the fact that city have done some business and, and Liverpool haven't, uh, really at this point, 
Well, yeah. you know, it remains to be seen if there's more business to be done before October 5th. Um, but the only thing that I think supports Liverpool is City not winning the Champions League this past this past season. Because if they had gotten the job done and brought home the Champions League, they could just go full force. That you know, monkeys off their back, like they can just go full force into the league and focus on winning, like, you know, regaining that title. And then, you know, Champions League defense, obviously very hard. Um, Liverpool, you know, couldn't do it uh, last season going out to Atleti. So I just think the only thing is that City will still be more, potentially more focused on the Champions League. Um, And, uh, but that's, it's still going to be extremely tough ask for Liverpool to retain it because City are an extremely good team, um, and I, you know, I don't see that changing this year. So I don't think they're going to slip up more than last season. I think it'll be a lot closer um, yeah. than than this season. But that's uh, I'll say I'll say Liverpool, um, <laughs> but as a homer. Um, but I think it'll be extremely close. Like like more more akin to the season before last than than last season. Mm, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think City and Liverpool easily clear 90 points for sure. Um one thing I wanted to ask you too and maybe get into this on two red gringos, but do you I mean cuz okay, so like people really criticize Tottenham Hotspur for not rejuvenating the squad after they went out in the champion, you know, mm-hmm. if, after Liverpool defeated them in the Champions League final. And, and then, you know, that led to Mauricio Pochettino eventually being sacked. Right. Do you fear that same kind of thing with Liverpool where it's like the squad is not being retooled, rejuvenated and, you know, things get stale and the same players kind of get tired of the same message from the same manager. <laughs> or do you think it's like, well, these are really extraordinary circumstances. Like, you know, Spurs weren't dealing with a coronavirus pandemic, you know, right. at that point. And maybe Liverpool are just trying to, you know, not splash the cash and, you know, be be conservative with their spending. Yeah, I I think I think it can be worrying. And uh I did talk about this a little bit on the two red gringos uh, a couple days ago. Just shameless plug. Um, but the <laughs> but I think it can be worrying for fans because we don't see, we don't have like the inside track on what the plan is. Like, right. I know that there are meetings happening in Liverpool's boardroom in Klopp's office, like, you know, all, all over like the club about like what's going on and about the plan and about the messaging and all that stuff. Like, I know those meetings are occurring, and I'm extremely trusting in in Klopp and his ability to you know know when is the right time to do these things. Mike Edwards has obviously shown a lot of of <laughs> nows in the in the transfer market. Absolutely, um, but I think it it is extremely worrying for fans for that same reason where it's like I I don't see it. So you know how can I know that something's yeah. being done? Um, and we've seen these examples in the past where teams kind of regressed like very quickly. Um, and we've even seen it, you know, in recent Liverpool history, like 13, 14, they, they just barely miss out on winning the title. And I mean, 
15, 16 was a nightmare. Like it was horrible. Um, you know, Fabio Barini starting in the Bernabeu, like that's how bad it was. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, you know, it's, it's, a. I think it's worrying, but the thing that gives me solace as a Liverpool fan is they've, they've shown from the start of this project with Klopp that there's always progression and there's always like that next step. Um, so I, you know, I hope that, I hope that this plan that they have in place and whatever they have in store is, is enough to, to progress them, um, and not, uh, take that step backwards. Cause I think, you know, I think it would be a blow to, to not be competing for the title or not be like maybe in with a shout in the champions league. Like, I think that would be a blow after the last two seasons of, you know, recently unprecedented success for Liverpool. Sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, you guys have been the best, best team in the world for sure. <laughs> um, and, and I mean, I think it goes without saying that Liverpool versus Leeds is the match to watch this weekend. I mean, I'm excited to watch Arsenal, of course, but right. yeah, that, that, that game is going to be really fantastic. I mean, yeah. two excellent managers, two giant clubs, um, you know, Liverpool might teach Leeds a lesson in, in returning <laughs> to the Premier League or, or Leeds might catch them sleeping, you know, catch yeah. a cold. Um, so, which, you know, just hot take. I think Leeds are going to struggle more than people seem to think. Sure. Um, I think they'll stay up, but I think they might struggle a little bit. Yeah. Um, Marcelo Bielsa is very uncompromising in the way he plays. People keep saying, how are they going to approach this? I'm like, they're going to approach this the way they approach the championship. Like, I don't see the tactics (laughs) changing that much. I think the real question is, how's it going to go? You know, they were kind of talking about this on uh, football Rambo and and I, it was such an excellent point that I just felt needed to be repeated here, but yeah, (laughs) that'll be, that'll be a really, really cool game to watch tomorrow. Yeah, I'm I'm extremely interested. I think quote of the weekend has to go to Jurgen in that in his pre-match press conference when asked like what he is or how he's feeling ahead of Leeds, he was like, "Well, I didn't see any suspicious characters around the training ground this week." So, <laughs> <laughs> so oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah they asked. Uh, they asked. Um, they asked Marcelo Bielsa. You know, what do you think about Jurgen Klopp and heavy metal football and? I think this was a real quote. Hopefully it was, but he said something like, uh, I don't know. I don't listen to heavy metal. <laughs> like, <laughs> so Bielsa is now, like is now an enemy of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Immediately. Like we've already <laughs> um, <laughs> tagged him out. Yeah. And yeah. Last interesting point about Bielsa before we move on to, uh, to La Liga. Um, Bielsa, it was just announced that he, has a one year contract extension that takes him through this season, which means yeah. for the past few months where we've been talking about the return of Bielsa to the, or, you know, Bielsa coming to the premier league with Leeds, he wasn't actually under contract for this season when, yeah. when he won promotion with Leeds, like yeah, he could have left in theory. Yeah, I mean, but the way that I understand it, and there was a good piece about this in The Athletic from Phil Hay, Mm -hmm. is that he was always going to sign. It's just he's got some really, like, peculiar contract terms. One that I thought was really interesting is he, um, you know, typically when you have a, a manager and their staff, each member of the staff is just an employee of the club like anyone else, and the club pays them directly. But Phil Hay was explaining in his piece that, 
Marcelo Bielsa, what he does is the the club pays him like a large like lump sum, and then he pays his staff like out of that. <laughs> so they're like his employees more than they are like Leeds is employees. Crazy. So like it's just like terms <laughs> like that that just take like hashing out. I guess like he was always going to sign, but. Yeah, that's pretty mental. That's like, wild. You, you just brought Leeds United out to the Premier League, and like you were like <laughs> technically a free agent for a little bit there. His and then uh, and then when then when they announced it, he was like, "Yes, I'll be working at Leeds this season." Like <laughs> super casual. Like what the fuck? <laughs> He's definitely someone we're going to be watching this entire season um, with sure. interest. Uh, there have been some characters in the Premier League, but I don't think there's been anyone quite in the in the same vein as Marcelo Bielsa. Um, which, if you want to look at at Bielsa and you have an Amazon Prime account, watch the Leeds documentary that is on there. Um, I can't remember what it's called. Take us home. Take What's us home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So watch it because it is like a fascinating one. It's just a fascinating look at a football club and how it's run. Um, but it's probably the most you'll ever get of Bielsa, um, which is still not very much it <laughs> in percentage yeah. to everybody else, but it's just such a, su- he's such a like interesting figure in world football and, and um, yeah, a great addition to the premier league, certainly um, because which is evidenced by the fact that he's dragged us completely off topic and I'm more than will, I'm more than willing to indulge it. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, but we move on to La Liga. Um, the Spanish league obviously has been a fairly predictable one, uh, in recent years, but a little bit of turmoil thrown in, um, this season, Barcelona missing out on, on retaining the league and Real Madrid actually somewhat, I would say unexpectedly, I would say Barcelona were certainly favorites and, and Madrid, uh, pipped them to the title by about five points or by five points. Um, so La Liga often a two horse race. What do you see in store for, for them this season? Yeah, it's such a it's such a hard one to predict. And to be fair, all of these predictions, I think I think this is probably the hardest season of football to predict in general, just because of everything going on with the pandemic. And, True. Um, you know, just ridiculous. <laughs> but um, uh, it's hard to say. Like you say, it's a two horse race usually. But Barcelona are in absolute shambles. Um, there is turmoil from the first team squad all the way up to the board. Um, yeah. Of course, everyone knows Lionel you know, Messi had, you know, sent the infamous bureau fax, um, <laughs> you know, stating that he wanted to leave. But apparently, he's been wanting to leave for a while now. Right. Um, and uh, you know, Josep Bartomeu, the the president of FC Barcelona, is refusing to step down, um, which I kind of understand because you know, at a club owned by socios like Barcelona is, he would become liable for like all the debt that they are in personally. So. I don't know if they're, they're shambles, but on the other hand, Real Madrid, as far as I know, they haven't bought a single player. They have which not, is, which is really odd. And, and, um, Oh my God. What's his name? Perez. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Perez. Yeah. He's been Florentino Perez has been very, um, adamant that they're not going to be spending. And so that's a little bit weird. 
um, coming yeah. from, you know, arguably the biggest club in the world. So, uh, I don't know. I think I'll say, I think, I think maybe Barcelona get it together and win the league. Um, I, I think Messi maybe drags them to another league title, even though he doesn't want to be there, but it, it's hard to say. It's really, really hard to say in this one. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I think Barcelona, Barcelona's business is actually like kind of interesting. Um, yeah. I don't love like, I love Pjanic as a player. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the move makes that much sense, but Barcelona's midfield has certainly lacked something. I don't know if Pjanic is that guy. Um, yeah. I mean, one of the thing, one of the podcasts that inspired this one, Stadio, um, which if you're not listening to it, you should also listen to. Um, it's just a brilliant, a brilliant show. And, uh, they brought up on their last show, uh, even Rakitic who left Barcelona this summer and is going to Sevilla. Um, and they talked about Ivan Rakitic and his legacy at Barcelona being <laughs> the crime of not being Xavi, uh, yes. which, which was, uh, which is funny to me because I think we just recently talked about Coutinho, uh, suffering a similar fate at Barcelona of committing the crime of not being Andres Iniesta. So like, right. I think Barcelona now due to some of this turmoil could actually go through they, it could go one of two very different ways, but I think the one way that it could go is obviously it could spiral completely out of control, become a complete circus. Messi's end of his career at Barcelona is a disaster um, and it's just disgraceful. Um, yeah. or <laughs> they could use this as a, as a point to kind of separate from these bygone eras, like the Guardiola era Barcelona that, that we spoke about that was so dominant. I think they've been riding the coattails of that team for yeah. so long without truly like refreshing the identity of the team. They've been trying to play the same style and like just find the magic and find the pieces for that style for so long. Right. Um, and they haven't actually done anything to, to make it new or interesting. So it'll be interesting now that Kuman is back or is, is in this position and, you know, a, a played at the club, like with Cruyff, all this stuff, like does this bring an injection of maybe like, and a chance to refresh, like Barcelona, um, I think that ultimately decides the league. Like, can they use this yeah. as a revolution, like in a positive way? Um, yeah. Or does it become this just like banter era, like for the club? <laughs> like that's, I mean, cause that's where they're headed. Like if, if they, if Messi leaves at the end of the season, they're headed for their banter, banter era. Like for sure. He's yeah. been staving off their banter era to be yeah. quite honest. <laughs> and they've had um, a minor banter era, like well, their banter out of the era is <laughs> only winning the league. Usually. Yeah. <laughs> knocked out of the champions league by Roma, knocked out of the champions league by Liverpool. Destroyed Lost in Copa the champions Del Rey league. <laughs> destroyed in Valencia. the champions league by Bayern. So yeah, I don't know, but some of their moves kind of interesting. Um, this kid from this kid from Braga. Um, I don't know if you saw they, they bought a random winger from, from Braga who had like 16 goal involvements in for, for them last season. 
Um, is it um, Trincao? That one? Yeah, yeah. Trincao. Yeah, yeah. He's supposed to be decent, but I, I just, I don't know. I, I think you make a really interesting point about Barcelona being almost too deferential to their history. Um, but that's why this Kuman appointment is so uninspiring to me. Cause it's like, you're just doing the same thing again. You're getting right. a dude who's well-versed in the Cruyffian way of football, but at the same time, it almost feels like, well, maybe he's just here to fire everyone. You know, I mean, he told Luis Suarez to basically piss off. Yeah. Um, even Rakitic, they've been wanting to move him on for a long time. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know that this is actually a step forward for them. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, you're, you're right. The moves are interesting. Trincao is an interesting one. Pedri from Las Palmas is mm-hmm. um, going to be a really interesting player, really good player. Um, came in pretty cheap too. Right. Um, so I don't know. Maybe they maybe they get by on the strength of what business they have done that Real Madrid haven't. Um, <laughs> and apparently Eden Hazard is showing up to training fat again. So. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, you know he wasn't going to waste this lockdown period to get <laughs> <laughs> to beef back up. Like we, I just I do think it's funny how uh, I mean we saw between uh, Hazard, we saw Harry Kane come out of lockdown a little bit, a little bit heavy. Um, mm, yeah. Meanwhile, on the flip side, Bayern were just feeding their dudes like protein shakes and anabolic steroids because Goretzka and Coutinho came out of lockdown, like absolutely ripped and huge. Like I, I didn't even know it was Goretzka when he came out. Like I thought, I thought it was someone else. I was like, who'd they sign (laughs) during the (laughs) lockdown? Um, but yeah, him and him and Coutinho, but Coutinho's return. This is one that I'm interested in. Obviously, history with Philippe Coutinho and, and everything, his return to Barcelona after these, like this loan spell at Bayern, obviously he left Barcelona in, it was this just a very kind of toxic situation, um, for, for both parties, I think, because the expectations were, were far beyond, uh, the type of player that he is, um, didn't match really, you know, who they bought, it was this idea of what they were potentially getting. Um, But his return, do you think he can have an impact in this Barca team or is his relationship with the club and the supporters just like too far gone? Um, uh, I don't know. I guess I never really got the sense that the supporters necessarily don't like the guy. Um, I could be wrong about that, but no, yeah, I think he can have an impact. I think it really depends where he plays. Um, playing him as a winger, I just don't see that ever working. I don't think he is quick enough really for that, that position. And I think there's probably better options anyway. Um, maybe on the left side of a midfield three where he can kind of have a free role. Um, but again, Philippe Coutinho, I don't think he's changed so much from the player that likes to take a lot of long shots, you know, and I'm only, I can only assume Kuman's going to want to, uh, focus on possession, so, it, you know, it remains to be seen. Yeah. Um, he's kind of, in, Philippe Coutinho is one of many players, I think, who's kind of in a golden uh, cage, if you will, <laughs> in that he is so, so prohibitively expensive to other teams who would be happy to have him, and especially in uh, a time of corona. So, yeah. um, 
we'll see. I mean, he's training. Uh, when the whole Messi shit show is going down, that's what Barcelona chose to tweet about is <laughs> Philippe Coutinho is back in training. So, <laughs> so um, we'll see. We'll see about that one. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure which way to go with this because I think there's a, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of odd forces at play. And in some cases, literally like Spanish federal authorities. So like, um, (laughs) so I, I don't really know, you know, what's going to transpire. Um, I think I'll give the, I'll give the edge to Madrid as the holders and as just a stable, I mean, we've seen like that, I, I don't think that they were particularly, I mean, especially compared to some past Real Madrid sides in, even in, in recent times, I don't think they're anywhere near like the level because they've gotten much older and haven't gotten much better. Um, sure. but I think they can still capitalize on Barcelona's, uh, chaos right now. And, and then, um, unfortunately for everybody else, uh, the rest of La Liga just, has not they just haven't caught up um and i don't think i don't think atleti has done anything to like get better um and they had a pretty rough season last year i think they're gonna be (laughs) taking a seat in like the next few transfer windows while they pay off the Xiao felix fee um and uh yeah they're just i think there's there's just not the ability of a lot of these clubs to really invest in a way that makes a difference in challenging those top two. Like they have the ability to, to get above each other or distance themselves within three to six. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, especially in this shortened kind of off season, I'm not really sure that there's enough room for these teams to, to really catch up. Yeah, that's fair. I'll, I'll go real Madrid too. Um, just I think they maybe edge edge Barcelona and like you said, capitalize on that that chaos over there at the uh at the camp now. <laughs> um one more thing I will say on La Liga just real quick. I can't believe I'm saying this, but look, you know, keep an eye out for Unai Emery's Villarreal. Um they have made a lot of interesting signings, Unai Emery being <laughs> one of them. Um you know, obviously didn't have a great time for, for Arsenal, but I think back in his home country and, and in a place where he can more easily get his message across um, and, and with a team that have done some really interesting business, including capitalizing on their, their rivals chaos as well in Valencia right. is um, I think that they will be a really interesting team to watch um, as well. So that's a good shout. Um, as we had, uh, we had to, Deutschland, uh, <laughs> the Bundesliga <laughs> for our next set of predictions. This is another one, a league that's been quite predictable, uh, in recent years, uh, Bayern Munich, obviously sitting top of the pile for quite some time. Um, however, um, you know, they've got a champions league win. They looked, they looked very, very good, um, in the restart. Um, the, <laughs> after the Corona pausa, as it was known in, in <laughs> Germany, um, but can Bayern maintain the title? And is there anyone that you're looking at in that chasing pack that can potentially catch the seemingly per- perennial champions now? Mm, no, I think Bayern <laughs> will win the title at a canter, honestly. Um, you know, Hansi Flick 
turned the team around pretty much immediately when he came in and now they're treble winners and the treble winners have added Leroy Sané to to that insane, insanely pacey team as it is. Right. So yeah, I think they win the title easily. Um, you know, the two, arguably the two best players that didn't play for Bayern or Dortmund last year, Timo Werner and Kai Havertz are not in the league anymore. Yep. Um, Gladbach, like we had, you know, one of my clubs, um, had a good season last year, but didn't, haven't done enough really in the, in the transfer window, just cause you know, we don't have the resources that a Bayern or a Dortmund have. Right. Dortmund have added, you know, Jude Bellingham, they've added, um, Rainier, I think on loan from Real Madrid, but those aren't win the league additions, yeah. you know, they made a so, couple of interesting, I think Thomas Mounier, they got on a free mm-hmm, from PSG. Right. And I mean, they brought in Emre Chan permanently from Juve. But right. none of those strike me as like league winning signings. Like yeah, if I mean, they but, had signed Sané, then we could have the conversation. But sure. Bayern signed him. Um, well, which, and I mean, yeah. it is Erling, Erling Haaland will probably have a really good um, season. And, and maybe that kind of adds adds maybe to that title challenge, maybe. But sure, I just I think Bayern have too much for anyone, really. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think when you look at it, especially through the lens of Timo Werner and, and Kai Havertz and departing, um, you know, Leverkusen are suddenly searching for like 20 ish goal involvements. Um, right. RB Leipzig are, you know, they sign, uh, Chi from, um, from Salzburg. Like if you right. can even, from they call themselves. him up from the farm team, <laughs> um, RB two, but they, uh, there's just like a clear level difference, um, already between these teams. And now you start talking about the European champions and German champions, like having a attacking like quartet potentially of, some combination of Thomas Muller who has seemingly gotten like smarter and more like adept with age. Um, Robert Lewandowski, like, you know, one of the best strikers in Europe probably should have won the Ballon d'Or, uh, this season if it had been awarded Serge Gnabry, who's been unbelievable since, since joining. And now Sané is going to play opposite, you know, opposite him. Um, and, on that flank with Sané is Alfonso Davies. So like you're and Joshua Kimmich is playing with Serge Gnabry. So it's like who, I, you know, who among us is going to compete with this team? Like, I don't yeah. forget Germany. Like who, like yeah. who, who I mean, is they gonna, could very well win the champions league again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, they are like, to me, they're actually reaching a level of, which we haven't, we've kind of rarely seen from Bayern, I think in a lot of ways where they've always been close. Like they've always had like teams that are of that type of caliber where they can, they can beat a Barcelona, you know, a peak Barcelona and they can beat like they can beat anyone on their day, but we had never seen them reach this level of dominance where there's an expectation. And like now there is like, and they're still doing business to maintain this expectation of, of being able to win everything. And it's scary. 
Um, and it's especially scary for teams in Germany because they have to match up with them twice a season minimum. And yeah, I just don't see any way short of short of Hansi Flick, like running out of whatever Mike's special special sauce or whatever, like the space, (laughs) the water, the water drank. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't see, I don't see anyone getting anything off a, off a Byron this year. Like it, yeah it'll be shocking when they drop points. Like that's the, <laughs> that's right, the low yeah. to the, like Bielefeld. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only, uh, the only crack I would say in their armor is at center back. Um, yeah. but they've, they've done an okay job of, of really not making it matter, but it'll be interesting to see. Maybe, maybe that becomes a problem for them with Boateng and, uh, and Alaba being obviously getting a little bit older and, um, Boateng has had his injury problems recently. Surla hasn't really like been as elite as I think they were hoping. So it'll be interesting in that sense, but the rest of their team is just unbelievable. Um, and of course, I mean, I think Dorman's chances also really depend on Jaden Sancho. Yes. Whether he stays or goes, I think he's still, I think he goes, I think he ends up at Manchester United come October or before then. Sure. Um, I don't know why United are pretending like they're not going to pay this fee because they will right. at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, I think they anyway. always have like that. Sure. Yeah. It, <laughs> they've always like Pogba. Yeah. Like he belonged I mean, like, to them. We're not going to be held to ransom. Yeah. Like <laughs> ransom assumes that you own whatever it is you're trying right. to buy. Like you'll, you'll pay. Yeah. And Mino's yeah. going to make sure you do. And that's the, <laughs> like, so yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm interested. I think Dortmund can put up a little bit of a fight because they certainly have a quality team. Erling Holland has been just absolutely ridiculous. Um, yeah, but it's a tall order for any one player to take down a team of Byron's quality. So um, we shall see, I think short of a crisis at Byron that they're, they're going to walk away with a, uh, this would be ninth straight Bundesliga title. I think, I think that's right. So yeah, not, not many, not many prizes for guessing the winner there. I don't think, but I still will watch the Bundesliga with interest primarily due to, the team you mentioned, Arminia Bielefeld, who were promoted from the the two Bundesliga with the manager, the former manager of Dinamo Dresden, Uvi Neuhaus. Yes. And it's going to pain me to watch, but it'll be, I'm happy for him to be in the Bundesliga. And so I will still watch with interest and probably, you know, for the same reason that, you know, Bayern are going to be very relevant in the European stage as well. So I'll just be hoping for Liverpool to be drawn against other teams <laughs> in the champions league. Um, Syria. Ah, this is an interesting one. Despite the fact that Juve have won a bunch of league titles in a row, it was not very straightforward this time around and it took some doing and Juve have some issues. So, Talk us through some of your thoughts around Syria and and whether we might see maybe some of these sleeping giants rise back to the top. Yeah, yeah. I think if there's any chance that a, a, a serial winner gets knocked off their perch, it's, it's in Serie A this year. I think Juve might actually not get 10 in a row. 
Um, I think maybe Inter has a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it depends a lot on, on what business they end up being able to do. They did a lot last season, so maybe it's just about putting those pieces together and, and um, getting over the disappointment of losing the Europa League and, and kind of slipping up in the league. But yeah, Juventus, um, they're an aging squad. Uh, Ronaldo's transfer. Uh, I'm going to say something crazy, but it's been a <laughs> failure in my opinion so far um, yeah. because he came in to win the Champions League for them and they've not done that. Um, they did not need any more assistance with winning the league. Um, right. to, you know, they, didn't, they didn't buy Ronaldo for that. Right. Um, and then, of course, the appointment of Andrea Pirlo as manager is genuinely mind-boggling. I, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I feel like Juve saw... Mikel Arteta and Frank Lampard and Zinedine Zidane like doing the business for their clubs as as former players, and they thought maybe that's going to work for us too. Let's try it. But like each of those three had previous experience. Um, Zidane right. with you know Real, Real Madrid's academy, La Fabrica, um, Lampard at, at Derby County, and, and Arteta as as Pep Guardiola's assistant. You know, mm-hmm. so. Um, that is a weird one. It can either be a masterstroke or a disaster. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, Juventus. I don't know what to think. I, but I'm for the sake of of uh, you know doing a little, something a little differently. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to Inter. I think maybe they can win the league. Um, AC Milan also are doing interesting business. It looks like they've got Sandro Tonali through the door, who is like the new Pirlo, as they say. I actually think they're. I think they're actually different enough as players, but he's got long hair. So people just <laughs> call him the new Pirlo, but uh, I don't think they have quite enough yet to, to, to win, but I'll, I'm going to pick Inter for this one. Yeah. I, I definitely, I definitely like, um, I definitely like that choice. I think like this past season was so strange for a number of reasons. One of which being the fact that Lazio of all teams was like in the title race <laughs> um, yeah. for, for quite a while, uh, which was odd, um, but driven by the fact that Chiro Immobile, who got most of his attention as a failure um, at, at Dortmund. Dortmund. <laughs> and at Sevilla. Yeah. Goes back to Serie A and he's been just absolutely lighting it up for Lazio since he joined and scored 36 goals in the league. <laughs> like, yeah, an unbelievable return, like absolutely crazy. Um, beats Ronaldo by five goals, which like any time that you, you know, the only person who routinely beat Ronaldo in a golden boot competition was Messi. Like, so that's <laughs> <laughs> sure, exactly. <laughs> um, but I don't think Lazio have enough about them to, to like put forth another charge like they did last season. I think that was kind of, well, they're not going to get, th- <laughs> maybe this is a bold prediction, but I don't think Chiro Mobile scores another 36 goals. Like, I think that's probably <laughs> an un- unsustainable rate of return. Um, but I like, I like the inner shout. I think, um, I think despite the fact that I have serious reservations about almost every single one of Conte's transfers, um, <laughs> they all seem to work like, yeah. Why would you want to sign Ashley Cole? I have no idea. Like, or sorry, or not Alexis even Sanchez. Ashley Young, not Ashley Cole. Um, like, <laughs> why would you want to sign Ashley Young? Like, 
looking yeah. at his body of work at United, you would not think like, okay, now's a good time to bring him in. Like now that he's getting older and all this stuff, but he's been good. Um, Alexis Sanchez, Alexis Sanchez, same thing. Lukaku's been like absolutely amazing since he, yeah. since he got to enter. Um, and so I, you know, I rated Lukaku before and I think he was being ruined at United, um, as were a few players, um, in yeah. the, especially in the Mourinho era, um, <laughs> some were withering on the vine. Uh, but <laughs> with all of that, with that team put together, Christian Eriksen, obviously in there as well. It's, it's a weird team to me because it's almost like watching an all-star team from the premier league in that was like cobbled together in FIFA. It's like an ultimate team from like FIFA 13. <laughs> It's really yeah. odd. Like it's really strange, but it's it works. And Conte's got them got them playing really well. Um and yeah, it's, I think it's about getting over that disappointment like you said. Um but I really do think that I think AC Milan are going to make things interesting. I like mm. but the the best thing about that idea is I I would love to see that derby become like kind of the showcase piece that it was you know, back in like the, I mean, at least in our kind of time, like the early two thousands, it was like the game that was on. Like if you could find like that Darby, like that's what you would, that's what you would try to watch. And, and inter AC Milan has been such an amazing rivalry for so long. And in recent years, it's just kind of fizzled because neither of the teams were competing for silverware like they normally do. Right. And so it will be it will be great. I think it'll be great for the league in general if those two teams are competitive this season. Um and I think for general interest the league I think Serie A should be like praying for Juve to get to get beat to the title because this predictability. I think it's hurting the Bundesliga as we speak. Um, Mm, mm -hmm. The Bundesliga does a pretty good job of marketing itself regardless. And I think Syria really doesn't, but the, a new champion or at least a, you know, new champion of recent times, not a generally new champion will give, will give Syria a lot more eyeballs. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to stick with your, your pick here. And I think, I think inter climb back to the top with, uh, with Antonio Conte. Nice. We shall see. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for the Serie A season. I think they've had unique challenges. You know, I think they were the first team to, or the first league to have, to have to play behind closed doors and, mm-hmm. um, you know, having to, to return to play, having been one of the most negatively affected by coronavirus it'll be it'll be interesting for sure the last league we're going to talk about is Liga Un, another kind of monolithic <laughs> league <laughs> where PSG have reigned supreme can they barring COVID can they be pipped to the title um this year can anyone take down the the Giants uh at the top of of Liga Un? I don't think so. I think it would actually be really, really, really shocking if if anyone really came close. Um, I mean, Lille are a talented team. Marseille seem to be uh, on the up and up under Andre Villas-Boas. Um, but I don't think any one team has 
quite enough. Um, PSG just, you know, that, that financial clout really um, just puts distance between them and everyone else. So I, I don't see, I don't see it happening to be honest. It's, I think it's, it's PSG all day. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird one because obviously Liga Un was actually ended early um, yeah. and PSG named the champions. They didn't play out like the premier league and all of that. So looking at some of the numbers from last season, it's very weird to see totals. Like, I mean, PSG won the league with 68 points, um, which <laughs> is you know really odd uh, for a team of their caliber, but they only played 27, 27 matches. So um, Marseille is Marseille is definitely a, a better team and a team that I love to see kind of revived um, mm. because it's another not dissimilar to enter where my kind of first memories of watching like some of the some of the videos back like they're in the you know early to mid 2000s Marseille was just like this classy very like the way they played was like very elegant they had a lot of like French African football footballers like in the team as well. They kind of led the, the charge Marseille, like a very immigrant, like a immigrant heavy population as well. Um, so they had this like culture around them. That was so cool to me. Um, they were just like, whatever wavy before wavy was a thing, I guess. Like they were just like, they were (laughs) legit. And, uh, so it's cool to see European champions. Yeah. And it, which is, (laughs) insane given PSG's dominance, I guess, but seeing yeah. Marseille be good again, and at least like back in the conversation is cool. Um, and, and I think, I think Lyon is one, not obviously to, to maybe beat PSG to the title. Cause you know, betting against PSG is, is just stupid. Um, the <laughs> way that they're built, but Lyon for me, like last season was so disappointing in the league that as long as they maintain, which I know there's a lot of, of, of rumors like surrounding Hossamauer and like a few of their other players. Um, yeah. I think Tussar also returned to Gladbach. Is that, or wait, who does Tussar play for? Isn't it Roma? I thought he played for a team in Germany. Oh, <laughs> wait, no, 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 no. I think Lucas I looked Tussar this up. Went to, um, he went to, Hertha Berlin, did he? Oh, not? Hertha. Yes, oh, that was what I Berlin forgot to started mention. spending a shit ton of money. Right. So, yeah. Yes. So Tussar, like, and Hertha is a weird one. Like, going back to the Bundesliga, like, watch out for Hertha <laughs> Berlin because they, if they can like get their act together, they have a bunch of good players. Yeah. They're going to win the title, but they could like do something this year. Yeah, I mean, they like I said, they've been investing a lot, and um, I think the thing with other Berlin is like, they're always, there's always stuff going on off the pitch. If yeah. they can like, you know, get away from the drama and just play <laughs> football this season, they can, yeah, they can be the ones to watch um, for sure in the Bundesliga. But yeah, no, two starts, two starts there. But yeah, Leon, uh, Leon for me, as long as they can keep like a core of the team together, they have a lot of talent and they showed obviously that they can play with anyone. They knocked, city out of the champions league so like they right they have the ability that is much better than seventh in league one i like i think so i think in terms of teams that are gonna like maybe be you know pushing or whatever like this year i think leon is one but psg is 
I don't know. They're just, they're a juggernaut and, and they just don't look like they're going to be slowing down anytime soon. If anything, it'll be interesting to see their reaction to their loss in the champions league and see if they use it as, you know, once obviously they have their whole team back. Um, (laughs) It'll be interesting to see if they use it as motivation or if they find themselves, maybe, maybe it's tougher to motivate themselves for, domestic games because they're so focused on that pain of losing in the champions league final that they want to get back and win it. I I, I don't know, but right. I still think they, they walked the, they walked the league unfortunately because um, they're just too good. Yep. Too good, too rich. Yeah. It is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. Uh, those are our predictions and uh I'll actually I'll tweet those out so that we can be held accountable for for our <laughs> predictions uh, in uh, in the coming season. But we're going to take another quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit of uh, a little go back to Spain, talk a little bit about La Liga and uh, about a certain Welshman plying his trade or not in the Spanish capital. Stay tuned. And welcome back to Hardcore Football. Uh, Mika La Liga announced uh, this week that they are extending the use of five substitutions and 23-man rosters through this season, at least. And for you, what do you make of this move? And do you think it... Because it does seem like it might make what is a top heavy league already? We just got done speaking about the, the kind of top two. Does it make it worse um, for those teams trying to get points off of those, those big guys? Yeah, I think it does. Um, because I mean, naturally your Barcelona's, your Madrid's are going to be able to, call on the depth that they have that other other clubs with less resources simply don't have. Um, I mean, I, I get it in a way because it allows you to kind of preserve <laughs> the, you know, your players and, and spread the minutes around a little bit. Um, you know, given that it's been such a condensed football calendar, I mean, the champions league just, the final just happened and we're already getting back into league play, <laughs> but yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to ignore that this is going to favor those teams with, with more players, you know, and more quality. Um, I think it's, I don't know. I mean, we'll see, we'll see how, how that works. I, I, I personally am I'm glad that the premier league has decided to, to not go ahead with five subs and just go back to three. Um, because I was afraid that this was going to become 
permanent, you know, right. as you know, I feel like sometimes when people are, when they experiment with things in football, it's because they want it to like stick. Right. <laughs> and I think five subs would have just changed the game fundamentally. Um, and I think the sooner that we can get back to, you know, quote normal, the better. Sure. Um, but it's my understanding that, that, that Spain, France and Germany are going to keep five subs. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we'll see. I mean, can you imagine like what five subs you can bring on for Bayern? I mean, that's yeah. ridiculous, you know? <laughs> um, so, <laughs> or Madrid or, or, you know, any of these, these big, big clubs, but I mean, I get it. I get it. I don't like it, but I get it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a strange move because I think we, I think we had seen these kind of like crazy impacts in games because we were seeing teams who were able to totally change their approach in one swath of subs. Like if you can make three substitutions at once and have it not be, you know, and still have two subs in your pocket, you can, you can pretty fundamentally change like what's going on out on the field. And the teams that have the depth to be able to react like to what's going on. And like, if I'm, like if I'm Ibar and I I'm like tactically set up and I'm frustrating Madrid. Yeah. And they have the chance to make five subs to adapt to what I'm doing. Yeah. I don't have the five subs to adapt to what they just did. Like I don't even if I know like what I want to do or oh I I think I might have a way to counter it or whatever. Yeah. I don't have the, I don't have the depth on my bench. Like I'm looking down. I I'm, I'm catching up on this might seem unrelated, but I'm catching up on all or nothing Tottenham Hotspur. Um, (laughs) and they go through in the episode I'm on, they go through this like rash of injuries around boxing day and everything. And Jose Mourinho is talking to his assistant and is like in Portuguese explaining that they literally don't have like the players to fill out the match day squad, like for the upcoming game. So he's like, are there any kids? And they're like, yeah, there's like three who could like, that would be me like at Ibar would be like, are there any like 17 year olds who can sit on the bench and like take my seat up so that we have 23 guys out there. Um, It's just, to me, it just makes it tough um, for those teams that are, I think you, you start to see less results that are surprising because um, the big guys are going to bring on like whoever, um, like, thank God it, it's not in the premier league because city, it was like relentless where it's like, Oh, like we're not scoring. Like here comes Mara's like, here comes J- here comes Jesus. Here comes yeah, you know, depending on who started, it's like De Bruyne. We were resting De Bruyne, but now De Bruyne is on too, and like, and it's like, <laughs> okay, great. Like, right. glad I could try futilely to to get something off you guys, um, but you know, um, so it's a little. I think it's a little frustrating in that way. So I'm glad England hasn't gone with it. I think it might make this season 
you know, it might help our predictions in that it, it may just support those big teams so much that, That's that true. they just like absolutely, absolutely destroy, <laughs> um, throughout, but, um, but we'll see. I mean, hopefully I think the more tactically like adept managers might, might succeed a little bit better, um, if they can be flexible. So maybe we'll see some of the tacticians in Spain, like the, the Unai Emery's, uh, or the Lopetegui's as, as he got a, a very tactical result in the Europa league final. Maybe right. we'll see those guys succeed because they have more flexibility to, to tinker and like try their ideas. So I'm not sure, but, um, but overall, I think it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a supportive move for, for the big clubs. Yeah, for sure. One player who definitely, you could have 20 subs allowed in a game and he still would not come on for Real Madrid is Gareth Bale. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, facts, but, (laughs) and it's not down to his quality. Um, I mean, God knows he scored an absolutely unbelievable goal in the champions league final against Liverpool. So, uh, Gareth Bale, Recently, he's been looking like what well, we said, like the front man of a deathcore band um, <laughs> or like uh, Blanca from Street Fighter, but the <laughs> <laughs> with the long hair. Oh but uh, Gareth Bales, I think it's uh, I think it's such an interesting legacy that this player has, um, because obviously he came up at Tottenham. You, you know, I really disliked him when he was at Tottenham. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm sure it pales in comparison to your feelings for this player um, when he was at Tottenham. Um, But he gained, I mean, he came up through, he became a, one of the highest profile players in the premier league. He was scoring like these crazy goals. He was making mazy runs. He transitions from left back to left winger to 10, like he's scoring free kicks. He's, he's a superstar Go, gets his big money move to Madrid. Takes some time, like doesn't adapt immediately, but he's still making an impact. He scores like that famous goal in the Copa del Rey final, um, for, for Madrid against Barcelona. Like he has like these crazy moments in Madrid shirts, but at the end of the day, He's the guy who joked that Wales and golf were ahead of Madrid. So like, (laughs) what is the legacy of Gareth Bale, the player? If indeed his time at Real Madrid comes to an end, um, which it's been reported every single season for probably the last like five years um, that he's going to leave and someone's going to buy him. He's going to go to United or he's going to go to Tottenham back to Tottenham or he's going to go, you know, wherever in England. But what do you think of Gareth Bale now towards the end of his time in, in Madrid? Like what is your idea of, of Gareth Bale and what is his legacy now? Yeah. I mean, if you look just at sheer trophies, and stats, he should be thought of as a Real Madrid legend. Um, I mean, I think it was like 13 trophies in his seven years there. That's insane. Yeah. Um, you know, his penchant for scoring, you know, goals in finals, like you said, the Copa del Rey final, uh, I think two Champions League finals, right? I mean, yeah. it, he's given Real Madrid's and, and their fans uh, so many 
iconic moments. Um, uh, you know, it just, it, it, it always felt like because he's so, uh, I guess, low key off the pitch that, that the fans, I guess, and the media, the Spanish media who are, you know, notorious for how ruthless they can be, you know, I feel like they kind of filled in this, this background of Gareth Bale that maybe is or isn't necessarily accurate. Um, you know, there's been a lot made about how he allegedly can't or won't speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't drink. And so, you know, he, maybe he alienates himself from his, his teammates in that way. And then he's, you know, he's not going to be going out and, and stuff like that, right. you know, going out <laughs> to the clubs or whatever. Um, you know, so I, I, I get that. I can, I get how that would seem like, okay, he's kind of standoffish or whatever, but I think that that's been blown out of proportion by the media and by the fans. And they kind of fill in this background to him that, you know, because they don't know really what he's like off the pitch, they've just filled in for him what what he must be like. And that must be something negative, you know? Um, You know, lately he has been like memeing the club pretty hard. And I think a lot of it, while hilarious does border on disrespectful, but you know, they, you know, they, they refuse to let him leave, (laughs) you know, even though it was clear that this relationship is not, you know, you know, not productive for either one of them, um, you know, them being him in the club. Right. He has had a lot of injuries. Fair enough. I, I, you know, as a Madridista, I can see how that's frustrating because Mm -hmm. you, you know, you see this player that's constantly getting injured, but yet he's got time to be on the green, you know, playing golf when you might think you should be, you know, dedicating your time to getting fit. Right. Um, you know, and I don't know that, you know, he might do that too, in addition to playing golf, but the optics of that, I can see that being very (laughs) frustrating for a fan. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think all these things together kind of combine to, to make this kind of weird perception of him and like, you know, kind of distance him from, his teammates and from the club and and ultimately from the fans, even though he has won so much with them, you know, and and another thing too, that I'm just now thinking of is I'm sure it's not easy to play in a side with Cristiano Ronaldo, Um, you know, uh, Kareem Benzema. I think he's been so successful at Madrid because he has actually taken on and been fine with the role of facilitator to Ronaldo, you know, even though he's Real Madrid's number nine, you know, with, with Bale, (laughs) I think that, I think that uh, it was just hard to to contend with that, you know, both in terms of like the the stardom and the you know the uh, um, just just being on the opposite flank of a player like that. I'm sure it's not easy, you know, right. to, to to compare to that and to um, to to be his teammate. So I, I mean, all these things, all these things, just kind of you know cloud what could probably we have been a really you know stellar legacy and and have cemented him as a legend he should be a legend by all measures but i don't know that every fan will necessarily see it that way yeah he's he's a fascinating figure to me i just i i don't know that there's another player that i look at and say like that i that i'm as confused about i guess as gareth bale mm. because when he was leaving tottenham he was like you know, uh, getting to that level where he could easily have been like a global kind of superstar. It seemed like he was scoring loads of goals. He had that kind of like Ronaldo vibe um, Mm. in terms of like his style of play. He's very direct, very pacey, thunderbolt of a left foot, like all that stuff. 
Um, but he just now, I think just based on the fact that he hasn't been at that level, that's the, the difference between, I guess what could have been and what is where he is a very low key guy. He is very content to be like Wales, the man with Wales. Like, yeah, he's much, I feel like he's much more focused on, on performing and being fit for the Welsh national team than he is for Madrid necessarily. And obviously in recent times, he has barely seen the field for, for Madrid. So it's like a, yeah. a strange situation where I think more often, you know, club impact kind of drives that national team impact but he never had the pressure of needing to perform at his club to be in good graces with his national team because like, because he's their best player. <laughs> yeah. Like Ben yeah. Woodburn played for like played for the Welsh national team, like before he was like before he had played for Liverpool practically. Sure. Um, like I think he had played like a league cup tie or something like that. Um, and he was I think Dan up. James too really was more like of a fixture in the yeah. Welsh side than um than, <laughs> than Swansea, maybe or Manchester United. Yeah. I don't know exactly, but yeah. Hal Robson Canu like literally <laughs> yeah. is like a championship like slash league one level striker that is a fixture for <laughs> the yeah, Welsh national team. Exactly. So I think that kind of like gave Gareth Bale the room to prioritize that and not have to worry about how he was playing for Madrid or whether he was playing for Madrid because he didn't really care. Like he, when he was on the field, he certainly would perform and he did some absolutely crazy things for Madrid, but I just don't think, and maybe it is harsh to say, but I didn't see anything that made me think like Gareth Bale loves to play here or even gives a shit like it didn't seem like he cared beyond like if he's on the field he would make an impact but he's not the type of guy who is jumping up off the bench when his teammate scores yeah yeah and i think that i mean that that plays into it too it's it's just funny because like florentino Perez loved bail like yeah. he moved you know mountains to get him yeah. Uh, broke the world record fee at that time. I remember when that transfer gate went through and I was like, there's no way like this ever happens again. And then, you know, we've had like Neymar and shit since. <laughs> um, yeah, but <laughs> it's, it's a shame because he is a fantastic player, but it's, it's just, and it's so weird too, because Madrid are actually, they've got a decent track record of bringing in British talent. Right. You know, I mean, David Beckham didn't win nearly as many trophies and he's thought of fondly. Sure. You know, in, in the, in the white kit. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it's just a weird one. Definitely. And I, I mean, where do we think he goes next? Honestly, he's 30 years old. He's injury prone. I'm, he's, he's in a, the golden cage, as I like to say. Right. I mean, what do we, he's it sounds like expensive. United to me. That's what <laughs> 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 they will pay the fee. No, that's what I think. <laughs> like, it's funny because before, if Ronaldo had not gone to Juve, I would say Juve 100%. Mm. Like that is the type of transfer that Juve loves where they sure. buy someone who is really good, but 
is really old, like for their, you know, for and like, like running out prime. of contract, like yeah. free transfer copped. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Midfielder <laughs> copped. So the, like, I think the, um, uh, so I think it would have been Juve, but you, there's been pretty public. And I think like pretty, it seems pretty consistent, like, uh, vocalization about like Juve's financial issues at the moment. Um, sure. and that they are carrying like way too many wages. So of course they sign more players like on, <laughs> on crazy wages. That's just what they do. But, um, but I, I do think that they're potentially going to run into, um, financial issues. So I would say, I mean, I guess United may United would make sense, but I don't know. Like he might get to a point, like if he's able to, to knock his price down enough, there may be enough in Daniel Levy's piggy bank to, to try to, to try to bring him back to Tottenham and, and get that swan song with the, uh, with, with Spurs. I think, uh, I just, I just, as much as I despise Tottenham Hotspur, obviously, yeah. I just feel like Daniel Levy's too smart for that. No. <laughs> I oh, mean, I mean, I think. Well, then again, he is really obsessed with like the marketing side of Tottenham, and right he now, brought so. Mourinho in. Like, the, yeah, I mean, I think they're if, saying people are saying that there's a conspiracy that they he sacked Pochettino just for Amazon. <laughs> it feels like it. I, I don't know. Yeah. Like I, I don't subscribe to many conspiracy theories. <laughs> I, literally, I was, I was talking to, I was talking to Erica earlier today. The, the only one that I subscribe to is I don't know if Osama bin Laden is actually dead. Um, but that's like, <laughs> <The> fuck. <laughs> but quick left turn. <laughs> but here's here's the other one <laughs> that we've talked about. No, I think I I do think Daniel Levy like has that about him. Like he spent how many extra like hundreds of thousands or maybe into the millions to build a retractable field for his new stadium so that they could play NFL games there without affecting his field. Like that type of move where it's like, it doesn't really make any sense in like a sporting sense but it makes tons of sense when you factor in like, oh man, like the NFL will play games here consistently or, oh man, Jose Mourinho could be the coach and we could make a whole documentary about it. <laughs> like, uh, that, yeah, it was that, weird to see Roger Goodell like pop up. In yeah. The, in the, yeah. Uh, and then them having them awkwardly having all of the Tottenham players like attend the NFL game. Um, yeah. and Pochettino's like sitting in the stands, like, what is this? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. <laughs> what are all these lines? Yeah. So I think Levy's got that type of move in him. And I think, okay. I, I think if the, I don't think he'll go crazy, right? Like, I don't think he'll Pogba and pay like 99. Oh, I don't think he'll pay like, you know, 900% of what they gave up or whatever. Um, yeah. Like he's not going to pay double the transfer fee or anything like that. But I do think that if the price is like a little bit cut rate and if Bale is willing to take a little bit of a cut to come back, because I don't know that they would pay whatever his crazy wages are at, yeah. at Madrid. 
but I think there's potential. I don't, I don't think it would be a good move for the club. I don't think it would be a good move for the player. <laughs> like, because I don't think he would even necessarily be like compared to like some of the players they have. Like, I don't know who they sit. Yeah. Um, but I think it's the type of move that Jose Mourinho would love, like for the attention that it would bring. Okay, I'm get, I'm becoming more convinced that actually Daniel does make Levy, a lot of sense. Daniel Levy is. I didn't think any of this about Daniel Levy until watching this documentary because, like, <laughs> he just seems like now that I've seen him because he was kind of this like disembodied figure. Yeah. For so long at Spurs that was miserly and basically like Mike Ashley of the South or whatever. Like that was like my idea of him was that he was this like shitty owner who just didn't want to cough the money up and like, didn't want them to like ever kind of get to the next level. But now I see that he, he is willing to do it as long as there's going to be enough, like, (laughs) clout like gained. intangible <laughs> intangible like yeah off pitch he wants gained. the clout <laughs> yeah 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 yes clout it is. merchant it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness yeah. yeah we'll see i mean i would like to see him back in england i don't know that his body can handle that but no. um i think it'd be interesting yeah uh to say the least um I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, he, he, I guess he was fine with moving to China 12 months ago, but I mean, I don't know. I don't know if China, I'm sure China probably still has the money despite the pandemic for a player like him, but uh, time will tell, I guess. It certainly will. Um, Well, thank you all for listening to the first ever episode of, of hardcore football. Um, We are going to be available wherever you found our other podcasts, but Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google play all in play um, at the moment. And we're getting our social media going. This drop was, uh, you know, a little bit of a little bit of a hype beast, a little bit of a like (laughs) secret drop and all that. So uh, as we, as we grow and build and stuff, we'll have, you know, the social accounts out there for you guys to follow and, and we'll uh, be able to share our takes on a more consistent basis. But um, yeah, I mean, it was loads of fun to get this started and I'm looking forward to, to what this has in store for us. Absolutely. Yeah. Finally, we've got a, a place to put all our European rambling. So it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I don't have a cool tagline for the end. So, uh, so until next time, peace. Peace. <laughs>